HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. This happens to be the 300th episode of this podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone. But thank you most of all. Okay, so actually in the first year, I think it was the first year of this podcast, I had a guest on to talk about her latest book, which was then In the Kitchen with a Good Appetite. Oh my god. 2010, I think. Wow. Yeah. And now she's sitting here again, six years or so later. And 300 episodes three, later. She's the 300th episode <laughs> lady of the day, the lovely beautiful and highly talented Melissa Clark. Uh, hello. hello. Congratulations. 300 episodes. Thank you. That's and welcome back. Amazing. Great and to be here. You know, what? I noticed that you have a bit of a milestone too, because um, you've been a columnist for the New York Times doing your good appetite column since 2007. So now it's 10 years. It is 10 years. And the funny Congrats. thing is it was 10. The 10th anniversary was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and we, everybody missed it. <laughs> Even you? Yeah, totally. I just wasn't even thinking. And then it occurred to me that it was wow. 2017, and I started in 2007. And I should really look up the date of my first column. And it was, it was like, you know, ten days prior. Like, oh. Huh. <laughs> well, congrats to you then. Thank you. Happy ten years. Thank what you. was your first column? My first column was polenta with fried eggs and kale, which oh my gosh. is still one of the most delicious dinners, right? I yeah. mean, it's like one of those pantry dinners. At least mm-hmm. the polenta and the mm-hmm. eggs. Yeah. And if you have anything green in your fridge, you just saute it up, and there you have it. I, I love doing that. I love how you say that polenta is sort of like a blank slate, and there's a very simple recipe in this book, Dinner, that has just polenta and some 
flash-seared asparagus, I think, mm-hmm. and a mound of burrata. Oh, yeah. That's the perfect dinner. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be eggs or something, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, if I could possibly make burrata into dinner, then that, mm. I'm just a happy person because it's just <laughs> so good. You don't need, you know, you don't need fancy anything. You just need yeah. burrata, which I guess is fancy. There's, it a, is a, fancy there's a couple things with burrata in here, so maybe that's a... That's the next book. <laughs> the burrata <barata. laughs> <The barata> cookbook. <laughs> One ingredient, anything else goes. Yes, which I love it. Um, no, but this is um, a really great book. Uh, Dinner is the name of it. It's called Dinner, Changing the Game is the subtitle. It comes out in a couple weeks, so we're getting a nice, nice sneak peek. And um, okay, so you write that you're changing the game because we tend to think of dinner as this like protein and two sides, right? So right. Mashed potatoes and peas and chicken or something right uh, yeah you know i it's funny because i do feel like we've we've come so far as a mm-hmm. society in so many ways <laughs> and also as diners you know we'll go yeah. out and we'll order whatever we want i mean we'll eat you know four sides and split an entree among four people you know mm-hmm. and that'll be dinner we're not afraid to mix it up but when it comes to putting dinner on the table on a nightly basis we still have a dinner problem we get into a rut so we either make the same dishes over and over again mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. can do them fast and we know what to do it's like okay you know that that chicken thing i'm going to do that chicken thing because Something i can I do know. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. or we we think okay well I'm going to make a protein, and then here are my two sides. And what I wanted to do in this book was to help people get out of their ruts by keeping the same techniques that everyone's comfortable with. So, you know that chicken thing that you do? Well, okay, here's that chicken thing, but maybe you wouldn't have thought to add roasted grapes with it. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not hard. There's nothing hard about it. It's not not like a weird ingredient, but maybe you wouldn't have thought to make that connection, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or, for example, adding cumin when, you know... We think, okay, cumin is something that we're going to use mm-hmm. with like Mexican cooking or Indian cooking. But what if I added it to, you know, your classic Italian sautéed greens? Mm-hmm. Just like little touches that are unexpected that deliver a lot of flavor and that get you out of doing the same thing night after night. And then it'll carry on with the sides too. It's like, oh, if I'm going to add this, you know, preserved lemon to my roast chicken, then why don't I make a little, uh, I don't know, couscous or something in salad? Yeah. Um, and then go from there. Yeah, well, you're doing it. So the idea in this book is, is that every recipe in the book is meant to be dinner. Like you don't need to make two or three things, you know. So if I have a recipe for, say, um, it's um, a roasted butternut squash, right? At the same time, I'm going to roast sausage so that it's all oh, together. I love this cover. In, yeah. The, yeah, so it's mm-hmm. like all together and you're doing it together. Or maybe there'll be a dish where, okay, you want to add a salad because there's not quite enough green in there for you or you, you know, haven't had vegetables today. So, okay, so you can we add a salad. salad. Yeah. Uh, well, plus I'm, I'm, I eat sal- I'm addicted to salad. I eat salad every single So to me, I always add a salad, but mm-hmm. that's as far as you need to go. You don't need to make a separate side dish. So the, the meal is inclusive. And, you know, and often you don't need to. It's concise. It's concise. And it's just, I think that especially after work, you know, we want to, we don't want to have to worry about making two or three things. We want to make one thing, but that one thing needs to be utterly delicious. It needs to be crave worthy. It needs to feel satisfying. Mm -hmm. And quite often that thing, well, you start out talking about roasting a whole chicken. So that is a that is in actually four or five different no six or seven different roast chicken recipes in here. Well, that, because who doesn't features. love a so roast chicken? I totally agree with you, and I love doing it myself. However, I feel like 
that's one thing that a lot of people don't think of to do because you know it's a weeknight or something like that and uh or getting a whole chicken is just intimidating in itself i think that's true actually i think the roast chicken um you think of it as a friday night thing or a weekend thing Mm -hmm. um what and you know i mean it takes a while too i mean you to roast a chicken takes an hour and maybe we don't want half an hour on a weekday depending on what time we get home or if we're working from home and we forget you know Mm -hmm. um so what I do is I, I'm very into chicken parts and flavoring them, you know, so you have, you know, parts that cook more quickly. And if I do have a roast chicken, I spatchcock it. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that is one. So maybe that's... It's butterflying it. Yeah, it's of, butterflying yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So that might be, you know, I say all the techniques in the book are really easy and that that's is true. Fun too. Except for butterflying. It's not, not that it's hard, but it's yeah. like people are like, oh, wait, wait, how do, what do I do? I have to take some scissors and cut the backbone of the chicken the first time you do it it's going to seem really weird yeah and then it's so well, easy poor bird i know and then you have to crunch the you have to crunch the breast yeah. down exactly you have to take your hands and go crunch that's right so which actually is really satisfying <laughs> i'd love to do that you get in there but then you have this whole bird right so yeah. afterwards you can make you know a salad with this crispy skin i love mm. taking the skin and crisping it up a bit and using pulled, you know, shredded leftover parts of the chicken. Yeah. You can make a soup. You can make whatever. Yeah. And you also, and then you have this amazing, you know, roast chicken dinner. And because you've spatchcocked the bird, it takes half an hour instead uh-huh. of an hour. Now, other tips you had were to get, get a good bird. So what does that mean? You said air chilled. Oh, yeah. And also organic. Oh, that whole which, thing. Yes. Which, which yeah. one should we start with here? So. Okay. So <laughs> chances. Okay. So air chilled when this is kind of gross, but I'm just going to go for it. When chickens mm. are processed, they are often sprayed down with ice water or soaked in ice water yeah. um, in order to, sorry, let's, I'm just going to say it, after slaughter, they have to get cooled down as quickly as possible. And that helps preserve them. And that's just, that's the reality of, of the protein that we're eating if we're eating chicken. Uh, I know. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, nobody wants to talk about chicken slaughter when we're talking about <laughs> cooking. You know, it's yeah. not, but this is, no, we okay, should all be so informed about what we eat. Mm-hmm. So the, the bird is, and if you air chill it, it's more, it's a more expensive process, but you're yeah. not introducing water into the chicken skin, into the chicken meat. So you're getting a better flavor because it's like, think about it. You know, are you going to d- take your chicken dilute and it with dilute water. it? Right. Like you know, a sponge. Exactly. I think that, don't they also do that to sort of artificial plump up the weight yes uh, exactly and sell it for like a hundred, right yeah. because if you've if you've soaked your chicken it's going to weigh a little more than air chilled yeah. but the skin is never going to be as crisp no you know it's going to be soggy i mean and not as tasty too. and not as tasty you're going to mm. have less flavor so air, air chilled, chilled is your if you can find that now most play if you're going to get your chicken at the farmer's market or you're going to get it at a butcher chances are it's been air chilled anyway mm-hmm. you know, it's just that's just uh, what they do generally okay. um but, you know, it's always good to ask. I always say, you know, talk to, you've, you've got a butcher there. You've got, you know, you've got an actual human as opposed to the supermarket where it's all in a case. Yeah. Strike up a conversation and try to find out stuff. Right, right. All right. So, and then also organic, you said it's it's a good way of sort of, a, you know, measuring how good the feed will be. Will, will yeah. Have been, or... So, I mean, you know, I, if you can get an organic bird, that's mm-hmm. great because, you know, it's been fed Um organic feed which is important it also doesn't have any you know gmo in it Mm -hmm. so that's another if you're concerned about that which you know Mm -hmm. um you can just not worry about that um but another thing about organic is that because 
and this is not always the case, but it's generally a it's going to be a better quality bird. So mm-hmm. not just from the feed, but generally it's going to be handled more carefully. It you know, because more inspections. It goes through okay. more inspection. Yeah. It's just going to be, so you're paying more, but you are getting a better product. Uh, and again, there, you know, this is like the general rule. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can also get great birds that aren't listed as anything because you're just buying them from a farmer and, yeah. and that's great. And I always say when you get a whole bird, it's less expensive anyway than getting the cut up parts and deboned and what have you. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's a good reason splurge a little bit on the extra quality. Yeah, you yeah. know, I if you could, the closer you get, the less processing has happened with your yeah, animal. Exactly. You know, it's going to be less the expensive. closer to whole, yeah. exactly. Same thing with, you know, same thing with your vegetables. You know, when you buy, if, like you're buying those cut up squash chunks that have been skinned and seeded, they're going to be more expensive. I mean, however, you have to know, like you're going to save time. So yeah. time is money. So you sure. have to calculate what works best for mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so drying out the chicken, you have a few other tips. And I'm sorry, I love roasting chicken too. So it's really fun to. Oh, I love getting. I love getting you know deep into the roast chicken. So you you advise to actually salt or season the chicken, and then if you can, leave it in the fridge uncovered overnight to dry it out even more because you know getting rid of moisture will help crisp it up more. So. Yes. Yeah. So think about this. So you're, you're putting it in your fridge, and the fan is going in your fridge. So you have this, you know, environment that... Air if, chilling. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of air chilling. Yeah. Yourself, yeah, so you're going to get a crispier skin. All and, right. Um, and then have the, to try that. it also lets the seasonings go, and so you're going to get a okay. much more flavorful bird. Got it. I actually have this really old cookbook that advises to rub the chicken all over with lemon juice and let it sit for a couple hours or so first. And it worked out really well. Yeah. You know, that again, it's yeah. going to add flavor and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can use, I would say, add salt and lemon juice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, put it in your fridge and just let it kind of air dry a little bit. Now, do you slather the whole thing with butter right before cooking? I don't, you actually. Don't. I don't. I'm yeah. not a butter. You, I, you know, yeah. I, I do a little olive oil. Um, I mean, you know, I love butter. Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to use butter, but it's just, I don't find that it needs it. You know, I just, I, I mean, everything tastes good with butter. And if you want to put the butter under the skin and do that well, thing. Well, a lot of people think that's how you need to get it crisp, but your, your way works. It looks beautiful. I can tell it's crispy and brown. So yeah, no, I yeah. mean, a teeny bit of oil. Chicken skin is pretty fatty. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, not that I'm against adding more fat to fat. I add fat to fat all the time. But mm-hmm. I just don't think, in, I think with a chicken, you know, I'll, I'll use my butter on, the, I'll, I'll take all of that butter and put it right in those mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, okay. So we covered chicken. Now, what came first, the egg? <laughs> <laughs> so you have a whole section on eggs and people don't usually think of that for dinner. That is, that's so American of us. I mean, if you look at other cultures, egg is, eggs are usually dinner. They yeah. are often dinner, you know. They're I mean, often. in France, you don't get eggs There's no reason get... why not. There's yeah. absolutely no reason not to eat eggs uh, other times of the day but breakfast. And so. they're so quick yeah. and they're so packed with protein and they're so inexpensive. I mean, they're such a great, and I absolutely love them, but they're just a great, you know, resource that we don't, yeah. Convenient protein. Yeah. So I say eat more eggs. So I did a whole chapter on eggs and <laughs> they are, you know, you can make any of those recipes for breakfast, but please make them for dinner because why shouldn't you do, I mean, take crispy fried eggs, right? I like egg fried eggs where you get crispy, you know, like the crispy, um, the, the edges of the whites turn crispy in your oil. So you get mm-hmm. really hot oil. You fry up your eggs until they're crispy. I add sage to that to that oil so that Ooh. the sage leaves get crisp. Uh, that somehow makes it more dinnery. Exactly. <laughs> Although that would be great for brunch too, but right. Yeah. So it's like, but, and then I put Turkish pepper all over, like, mm. uh, you know, Aleppo mm-hmm. or Turkish pepper all over the top. And I put right. scallions and then a little salted yogurt on that. 
Nice. I mean, it's so easy. It takes 10 minutes and it's so satisfying and delicious. So subverting some paradigms here with dinner. (laughs) Trying, trying, changing the game. And uh, going on, you have no dessert section. However, (laughs) (laughs) there's this whole wonderful section on dips, spreads, and go-withs. Yes, that's another thing. You know, when you get that really delicious, you know how you eat hummus for dinner sometimes? Like, it's just we all do. We sometimes just eat a container of hummus for dinner. I've had good bread. Yeah, anything goes. Exactly. So why not just sanction that? Mm -hmm. So I sanction that in this book. And it's not just hummus. I mean, I have a great hummus recipe, but I have all these different dips. Um, It's funny because I was at, um, I had a little party and I had made one of the dips in there is this tuna dip. It's a can of tuna and it's like all these yummy things. And it's just Uh so, it has basil in it. It's delicious. And someone was eating this dip and they said, I could just eat this for dinner. I'm like, yes, that's the point. You could just eat that for dinner. (laughs) That's the point. You have all your vegetables. You've got your amazing bread. You've got your whatever dip it is that you're really into. And you know what? That's dinner. That takes 10 minutes. And that is unexpected. It is full of flavor. It's healthy. It's just, it's exactly the way, at least I know that I want to eat. And I think a lot of people want to eat today. That is how I want to eat. But I tend to snack like that while I'm making dinner so much that I'm enjoying it so much that uh, by the time the dinner is cooked, I'm totally full exactly satisfied i used so. to do that too and then i just realized well why don't I just make a <laughs> snack my dinner yep, yep. good lesson learned <laughs> exactly that way i can sit down and enjoy it with a glass of wine instead of standing up while i'm chopping brussels sprouts right right um and you also have the the pea and gua- the infamous pea and guacamole dip <laughs> or pea guacamole um which received the ire of president obama at the time yeah but he's you know i i, I peas love, and guacamole you know he just he Okay, I, he has I, look, I he love has Obama. I mm-hmm. love him so much, but um, he puts garlic in his yeah, guacamole. No, I was going to say. So he don't know from what guacamole. Was what? That? No garlic in your guacamole. He, so he tweeted back um, about this <laughs> tweet uh, about this pea guacamole, <laughs> saying, "No way, peas. Uh, it's got to be you know onions, onion, garlic, garlic. I know cilantro, yeah, and tomato or something. Yeah, which is just not. Gua- I'm sorry, I've, that is wrong. Thank you. I've never heard of. That just sounds overboard. Yeah, the, the it's, fresh garlic. Ooh, yeah, no, I don't want much. that in my guacamole. I mean, I love okay. fresh garlic everywhere, but not my mm. guacamole. And you know, I, I stand by that recipe. It's a great variation. There's nothing wrong with having lots of different kinds of guacamoles in the world. Pea yeah. guacamole is just you know. I love how it blends in there too. It's so I pretty love sweetness. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk a lot more about dinner after a quick little commercial break. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. 
Learn more about Chef's Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. All right, we're back chatting with Melissa Clark, author of the new Dinner Changing the Game cookbook, coming up in two weeks, March 7th. However, you may have noticed uh, last week there was an amazing feature in the New York Times that Melissa uh, wrote and produced and uh, recipe tested for, and it was all about French cuisine, and uh, hopefully you noticed it because it was very... uh, it was very irresistible looking, and I wanted to cook French after that. Uh, what was that all about? So- yeah, that was, um, you know, I we are, I feel like people have forgotten how amazing French food is. You know, we're very busy discovering the rest of the world, which we should be, because there's a lot of fantastic ways oh, to eat. Oh, there's, yeah, you know, Moroccan food. Exactly. There, But there's also, you know, French cuisine is one of the building blocks of um, European culture, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's big. That's huge. I mean, it is, you know, Europe. It's not the world, but it's still a giant place with great food and food appreciation. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. also one of what's interesting about French food. It was also one of the first national cuisines to kind of coalesce, you know, I mean, like we know how regional Italian food is, ah, yeah. you know, but if you hmm. think but French food was codified and it became a thing, it became a unified thing way earlier than a lot of other places in wow. the world. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, especially, um, and it was also, it was also, talk about a game changer it really changed french food really uh french cuisine really changed the way people thought about cooking which was fascinating to me when i was doing the research for this project what i i learned was um up until through the middle ages all of europe when they were cook european cooking was about health it was primarily Mm -hmm. about health tonics and exactly and well just in the way you'd combine ingredients was to um it was based on a a very ancient you know even i think going back to the greeks um uh, way of thinking about health through food so it was the humors the humor system Mm -hmm. and so you had your four humors in your body and you had to balance them and that was how you were going to be healthy and food was a way to do that it's fascinating right i mean this is stuff Mm. we don't think about and what happened in france was that there was a shift away from cooking with a lot of spices with a lot of um, putting spices and aromatics together in order to give health, you know, so pork was considered moist and cold. So you needed to add warming spices in order Mm. to balance it out so that you wouldn't, you know, get a cold if you ate it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what happened in France was things shifted to, you know what, let's actually talk about how to make this delicious ingredient, these peas. How do we make these peas taste really good and not worry about if they're going, you know, what their um, physical attributes are just Let's eat them mm-hmm. with butter. Ah, gotcha. And that was revolutionary. It doesn't herbs taste good. Yeah, yeah. And herbs mm-hmm. was different too. I mean, using in herbs instead of spices. You know, and it was it was really this seismic shift that we don't even think about. Thanks to France. Thanks to France. So that was you know so at least certainly like I said at least in the context of Europe that was a really mm. important moment, and I loved. Um, researching it and I so what we decided at the time the reason we decided to do this is uh, to tell the story of French cooking through 10 iconic dishes and so we have quiche and we have coco vin and we have boeuf bourguignon and we have cassoulet and um, Um, omelettes sole meunier exactly Mm -hmm. and souffle and I went deep into each recipe I and I really wanted to not just tell the history of the recipe and the context of the recipe but really walk people through the steps and so why do cool. you do this you know why this technique here and get it to a point where people 
could not help but make something absolutely yeah. delicious. And get a whole cohesive sort of store. You don't have to make everything, but, you know, this is something you can stew on over. Yeah, you, you go in and you make whenever. one delicious mm-hmm. Quiche. So, for example, the quiche chapter is about onion quiches, but it's also about onions. How do you mm. use onions to the best way? You know, how do you get different f- characters out of onions? And then I have a recipe for a piece of lardiere, which is another interpretation of an onion tart in south- southern France. Uh-huh. And I have a tart flambe, which is a, oh, yeah. another onion tart from northern France. And how do That's all so of smart. these connect? Yeah. Um, so people can still go, you know, you can go click on the uh, new essentials of French cooking on the NYT cooking site, and there are Love recipes it. there for you. There's video. Love it. It was a lot of fun. You do everything. So, you know, you have video up there. You've got tons of digital recipes. And it seems like this new project is sort of like having like a book that opens up into another book and then another book which you can explore and take in so many different directions. Yeah, well, you know, you so that's, cool. people who read my column, you know, it's all there. It's all online. Right, you have so much content out but, there. Yeah. But then this book is like, a, it's an object. You can pick it. I mean, for me, I think I still love cooking from yeah. cookbooks and mm-hmm. I hope people do too. Um, and another thing about this book, okay, so it doesn't come out for two weeks, but if you pre-order it now, from your favorite pre, you know, wherever you buy books, you will get a special pre-order recipe that. booklet, which is cool. So you get like an extra five That's recipes. That's really cool. And one of them is a really easy, delicious apple cake dessert. So okay. go do that. <laughs> pre-order a dinner, changing the game, and then you have an extra... You get an extra little... Appetizer. Little present. <laughs> exactly. Because there are no appetizers in that. It's all dinner. So if you want the appetizer, you have to get the booklet. Well, some could go... Could, yeah, you know. Some could, could be. be. Yes, the dips. Okay. You could totally do that. Yeah. You, if you wanted to. I love to. that. So it's so cool because like I have a lot of cookbooks and I find that I'm always opening and then referring to another one and then splaying it open. So you could do so much with digital. Are you going to do more projects like the essentials of French cooking? Oh, at the times? Yeah. Yeah, we are. But we're okay. all just like, I mean, it was so much work. That was, yeah, you're right. You're People right. People keep it asking, was, like, what are you going to do next? I don't know. What gonna... do you call it? This whole medium of like a... Yeah, it's a whole other... It, we, we call it a premium guide. That premium is guide. Premium okay. guide. So it's a guide because it. it's a okay. guide right, of French right. cuisine. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of guides at the Times at NYT Cooking. Sure, sure. I mean, NYT Cooking is an amazing resource because we, it's not just recipes. We have these guides. So there's an ultimate... I wrote an ultimate roast chicken guide. Everything you want to know about roasting a chicken and um that's there too you know there's a lot of stuff so if you go into that world you'll be able to find not just recipes but added content what do you like doing best cookbooks i don't know video Uh, you know i love column i love all of it um the video is the video is interesting it's definitely the most challenging for me yeah it's the hardest which is good because i feel like stretching oneself is important good good but it's hard no it looks like a lot of fun though It's, it's very um I don't know, homey. Yeah, we, we keep it homey. We mm-hmm. keep it real because we're in my home. Yeah. So got- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I had an interesting conversation. A friend of mine said she cooks dinner, and whenever she and her boyfriend cook dinner, they usually end up eating standing up in the kitchen. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And, and I realized I... Let's talk about the mechanics of dinner for a second. Yeah. I... Weirdly enough, I have a real table, but I end up sitting at the coffee table. That's just where I like to have dinner. And like, I'll put a pillow on the floor and I'll kneel like Japanese style. You know, that (laughs) that I I think people should find their dinner bliss wherever it is in their house. If if it's better to stand at the counter or better to kneel at the coffee table. Awesome. That's great. I mean, you're eating dinner that you've cooked. I just think that's the most important thing. I think that that is important because I hear, you know, a lot of gripes and hangups that people have about cooking at home and, you know, 
number one is my kitchen is not good enough or it's too small, especially in the right, city here. Right, right, right. Um, but number two is like, I don't have really the setup to enjoy a proper dinner at home. Like a, my desk t- doubles as a table. Yes. So yes. Uh, how can you kind of dinner up? your home setting well you know one thing i mean our it's the same thing you know our house um our dining table is you know dolly does her home my daughter does her homework there and i do my work <laughs> there and it's like it's like very much the table it's, it yeah. is the table exactly so yeah. um we don't even mm-hmm. try to clear it all off because yeah. it's like there's so much stuff on it okay. so we don't even try to clear it off we just you know while i'm cooking my husband is just like clearing a little path in that table ah. and you know what we do do every night we light the candles we yes. light we light the ca- it's like okay that signifies that, that signifies yeah that, so it's even though if we're sitting at the same place where mm-hmm. 5 minutes ago i was actually working and, or and dahlia was doing homework or coloring or whatever now it is dinner time and we and we i i mean lighting the candles and I, we dim the, we have all my husband put all of our lights on dimmers <laughs> <laughs> So we dim the lights Perfect. ever so slightly. Yeah. We light the candles. Um, I I love cloth napkins, and mm-hmm. I do think they're more ecological. So we have we have our cloth. So we have like a few things that are like you know this is a special time. But I do feel like that's our ritual. Everyone should develop their own rituals. Like what is the thing that makes you feel like you're taking care of yourself? Because right. I think taking you know cooking for yourself is the ultimate way to take care of yourself. And then in, find a space, create a space to enjoy it, whatever that means to you. Buy a dinner bell. How yes, about that? exactly. Put on your special <laughs> <Right now>. dinner music. <laughs> <laughs> or get really full eating all the snacks that you eat while cooking dinner. You know, even I mean, when I did that, so that was like, <laughs> I would, because you know, if I'm developing recipes oops, all day, I'm yeah. not starving oh, course, by dinner yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But I still sit down and have a salad and a glass of wine with my husband, and then he eats whatever I've cooked all day long. Ah. And it's still like that Rituals, time and yeah. that connection, you know. Rituals. I love it. Is that why you decided to cook? I mean, to cook this book, to, to <laughs> do this book is to kind of just relish the the dinner, like the the sort of meal that we all kind of look forward to the most and I, yeah, stress I, about perhaps but the we most. Stress I mean, dinner is my fa- it's my f- cooking dinner is my favorite time of the day. Like mm-hmm. that, I, I write in the introduction that when I'm making dinner and I'm like, I'm drinking a glass of wine usually while I'm cooking and my husband and my daughter, are like we're all hanging out in the kitchen talking and listening to music. And it's like my daily equivalent of the weekend. That mm-hmm. is when I de-stress. That is my like, okay, the work day is over. Even if I'm going to work after dinner, I pretend I'm not, you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I am, yeah. it is my time. chill time, my best time. It's your huga. So I want, ev- it's my huga. I love it. Mm-hmm. So I want everybody to, um, you know, if I can get people to cook a little more and be a little kinder to themselves at that end of the day, I think that's awesome. I really, I can't agree with you more. Reading, flipping through this book too, and every recipe, I'm like, I agree. I love, I want this. <laughs> I want to cook this. <laughs> I love it. So uh, definitely, we there's so many. There's so many. How many recipes? Two hundred and twenty. Yeah, that's a lot. Two twenty five, maybe. So get this book and be well fed for a lifetime, as the old <laughs> saying goes. Um, thank you. It looks like that's about all the time we have. But that thank just you. flew by. It was great I to know. talk to you. Thanks so much, Melissa, and congratulations. Thank you, and congratulations to you, three hundred. Thank episode. you. Couldn't have been better. All right. Well, thanks uh, everyone at Heritage too. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.